Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Morning everybody, it's good to be back in Emmanuel. Um, I'm really looking forward to being with you this morning. Um, I was speaking at a men's event up in Castle Wellen last night to 70 men. I was telling them that I was speaking to another gentleman who remained nameless and um, he, on, on, on Friday and he says, Phil, I'm really looking forward to Saturday. He's really looking forward to tomorrow. And I said, why, what's happening tomorrow? He says, the wife's going to Newcastle for the day with the church. And he was dead serious. <laughs> he was dead serious. I said, just looking forward to a wee day on my own. So there you go. Um, I am uh, excited about the word this morning. I'm nervous about the word this morning, uh, if I can say that, because... Um, we've been on this this uh, theme of uh, from the familiar to the fascinated, looking at encounters with the resurrected Lord, and we did Mary in the garden, we did the two in the road to mess, on and on we went, and then um, uh, Cheryl last week did a phenomenal job taking us to uh, our Judeas and our Samarias. Um, I started this all off, if you'll remember, a way back looking at how we need to deal with stuff in us before we deal with stuff out of us. Hence, counselors, what they do, they go for two and three and maybe even four years of training, and what they're doing is they're dealing with their own stuff because you've got to deal with your own stuff before you deal with other people's stuff because if you don't, you're in big trouble. And so um, I... uh, I, I thought this morning what I would love to do, Dave, next week is going to um, bring it to a, a, a conclusion, and then maybe the following week we'll, we'll look at some of the local ministries that we have and where people can get involved. But next week, Dave's going to take us to the nation, so come with your bags packed next week. Um, but this week, what I'd love to do, I'd love to talk about you and me encounters with the risen Lord, our encounters. And so I've, um, I'm going to call this more more. We talk about it all the time, don't we? We sing about it. There must be more than this. And we're always looking for more. Now, to give you the context of this message, um, I went on a bit of a personal journey um, at the beginning of the year, and it stemmed out of um, losing Rodney, and I've asked Karen's permission to mention this, and it stemmed out of that. uh, Rodney, as you know, took ill beginning of December and for three or four weeks um, we tended and loved him and he went home to be with the Lord just at the tail end of the year. And if I'm being really honest, I went into a bit of a head spin. I went into a bit of a head spin because I, there were so many questions. I I'd felt so many times I'd heard the Lord that Rodney was going to be healed. And, um, and I couldn't, those just wouldn't match in my head. Lorraine tells me my head works weird, and it maybe does. And it can be our greatest strength, and it can be our greatest weakness. And by the end of January, I was, I was in a deeper tailspin with that. And so hence, May was off. And I felt 
in the first two or three months of the year, I was just running an empty. And um, so what I want to do, I want to talk about this word. I want to talk about what this more is, what this more that especially Pentecostals talk about all the time. And, and for the people who come looking the more and go home with less. The people who come with more, looking for more, and actually the only more they get is more questions than answers. So this is a really honest conversation this morning, all right? I'm not going to tell you lies anyway. Um, so uh, three passages to read. Three passages, if you want to bear with me. The first one's in Mark 9. I'm reading from the um, Christian Standard Version, Mark 9, 17 to 24. Let's read this story. Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out and they couldn't. He replied to them, You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions, fell to the ground, and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. Many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. Jesus said to him, if you can. I love that. If you can. He says, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Second passage, we're going to jump into the Old Testament, back into Exodus 32, first four verses. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Says Aaron replied, to them, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears, brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made it into the image of a calf. Then they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And the last Short reading is in Matthew 11, and the context of this is John the Baptist is in prison. We know, because we know the end of the story, he will never get out. He's going to be beheaded very shortly, and this is what he says. Now, when John heard in, in prison what Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Sounds like a doubt, doesn't it? Sounds like John was wondering had he got this all right. So um, let's pray. Father, your word is powerful and you always honor the public reading of it. And today is no exception. So we are looking forward to what you have to say to us. So we say, speak, Lord. Your sons and your daughters are listening. 
Growing up, my mum had uh, one of the greatest gifts of hospitality of anybody I've ever known. I was the youngest of seven, and as we all grew up, mum, mum just, it was kind of weird because I could never understand this. If all of us brought somebody home without saying, and mum had prepared a dinner for seven, she could feed 14. I could never figure that out. She told me in later life that whenever she seen extras coming, she just poured loads of beans into the into the stew. That didn't do much for well, you know. Um, the um, and, and so she she was just incredible, incredible like that. And one of my fondest memories of my mom was waking up on Sunday morning um, before church, before we would go to the little meeting in the gospel hall. My mom would already been up early and been cooking dinner. And Sunday dinner was such a big deal in our house. My mom and dad would entertain preachers all the time, and so the preachers would be there, and their families would be there, and friends would be there, and, um, and she would start cooking so early. So I would wake up on Sunday, and, and, the, and I would be smelling the, 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 the smells of that Sunday food drafting through the house. Now, our house had a living room and a sitting room. And the sitting room was called the good room. It was the room that you never went into. It was the room that had the couch with the plastic on it. For those of you who don't remember that, you bought the couch and there was plastic on it. And my mom said that plastic stand on it because that thing's got to do for 100 years. And so the plastic never come off. And... Um, you just didn't go into that room for any old reason. It was the good room. It was for the preachers. It was for the visitors. And, um, and for those who um, don't understand this, I remember actually as a boy standing at that door and looking in thinking, one day, one day I'm going into that room. One day I'm going to be one of those people and I'm going to go into that room. And then what happened as well, when a big crowd came, my dad had made this massive big table in, in the kitchen. It was never coming out, that thing. It was made in the kitchen. And, and, um, and so everybody would be around that table. And then my mom had this little red fold table, you know, two folds. And it was the children's table. And so you sat at the children's table. You didn't get to sit at the adult table. Now, the children's table was good. Mostly, it was good fun. But when you're 17 and you're sitting with your two-year-old cousin, it's like getting a bit ridiculous, you know? And so, uh, uh, but all I'm saying is, all I'm saying, uh, these children's tables and closed-off rooms made a mark in my life and I was aware for a few days of my own in May and I started to think about this. I started to think about the problem with the culture we've created is what I like to call closed off rooms and isolated forbidden tables. There's rooms as Christians we just don't seem to go into. There's tables that we feel we're forbidden to sit at. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to talk about the places that we normally don't go as Christians. I want to talk about the rooms that we go into and the ones that we say no to because we can't be good Christians and go into that room, could we? We just don't go in there. I want to talk about the times when we love Jesus but we have unbelief and doubts. I want to talk about the things that God does and allows that we just don't understand. I want to talk about the times 
when we've more questions about him than we've answers from him. And uh, see, what can happen is we can come into a gathering, I guess, we can come into these Christian settings and it looks like everybody else has got it all together. Like you look around and you say, well, look at that family, they're just perfect. Everything just looks good. Look at that family over there. They're all worshiping together. They, look at that husband. He's raising his hands. You haven't raised your hands in 10 years. All and on we could go. And, and, and what you do is you begin to compare and you think that everybody's got it all together but you. Everybody's got it all figured out. And you're the only one who's actually still in the process of trying to figure this all out. And there are times and moments and seasons in our life when we, we, when we just doubt. We can't figure this all out times when it doesn't make sense to us. So God has this great gift of hospitality. We believe in that. And yet we rarely go into the room of unbelief because you can't be a good Christian after all and have unbelief. So instead of expressing it or working through our doubt, we tend to just hide it. We hide it. We lie about it. Or we just pretend. We just pretend to do the best. And we tend not to go into that room or sit at that table of doubt. What I want to do this morning, I want to give you permission today, so don't chase me just yet. I want to give you permission today to go into the places of doubt and unbelief. I want to give you permission because what if there is more? What if there is more? And what if the more is on the other side of the door? Of doubt and unbelief. What if the more that God wants to bring you into is working through that room that culture hasn't allowed you to go into? What if the more is in the other side of sitting around that table that we've denied ourselves to sit at? I started to study this in May and I, my head got racked. There's so many stories in the Bible. You've just got to turn to um, Genesis 32 and you get Jacob wrestling with God. Wrestling with God. Thinking he's a mugger. Thinking he's out to rob him. And then somewhere in the process of the fight, he realizes it's God. And God's actually wrestling him through his doubt and through his unbelief to get him to trust him implicitly so he would change his life forever. On and on I could go. And what if the um, invitation through doubt and unbelief is to experience God? I mean, like, you say, well, you can't, have, you can't have faith and doubt. What if the fact is that doubts are evidence that you have faith? What if the... Because doubt's not the opposite of faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. And the fact that you got doubts actually means that you're still in there because you're wrestling with something, and that something is faith. And I think it's important to wrestle some of this stuff out. It's part of your journey. It's part of um, what God does to wrestle with him. He's not intimidated by your doubts. He's not thinking up there, oh no, they've got questions. What am I going to say? God can handle your questions. He can handle your doubts. He can handle your unbelief. And actually, I go further than that. I think he's actually quite enthralled by it. Our first reading today was by a man whose son was possessed by demons. Jesus is walking by, and he says, do you believe? And he says, yes, I do believe, but would you help my unbelief? Now, here's the thing. Did he just say, I believe, 
but help my unbelief. He's showing us that you can have belief and unbelief at the same time all in front of Jesus. He's talking to Jesus, by the way. And he's saying to Jesus, I do believe, but will you help my unbelief? You can struggle right there in front of Jesus. Imagine this man's predicament. I believe, but if I'm honest, I've seen some things that's just making me struggle. He would say, this dad has seen his son tormented by demons. He has seen this demonic force throw him into fire and into water and literally torture his boy. So he's saying, yeah, I believe, but I've seen some things that are causing my faith to stumble a little bit. I've seen some things that are causing me to struggle. I've seen some things that I just don't understand, and I'm seeing some things, God. So yes, I do believe, but I've been through too much, and I've seen too much to act like it doesn't matter. And so I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I do believe, but I'm struggling with my unbelief. Maybe today you're in that place. Maybe you've, you're, you're here today and you've said, well, I, I've seen people healed of cancer, but God, my, my mom didn't get healed. What, what do I do with that? I've seen marriages that work, but mine didn't. What do I do with that? I've seen people survive accidents, but my friend didn't survive his. What do I do with that? I know you don't cause bad things to happen, God, but you are sovereign, and in your sovereignty, you allowed this to happen. So please, God, what do I do with that? And here's what I believe the word of the Lord is saying. And here's what the word of the Lord was to me. All right? This is how you do it. God is saying, with me. You process it with me. That's how you process these things in life. Don't wrestle with me without me. Most of us try to wrestle with God without God. And what we do is, instead of running to God to wrestle this stuff out, we run away and we try to wrestle it in a bottle or in a pill or in some other way. And God is inviting us into this mystery. He's inviting us into this journey. He's inviting us into this place. You see, God may, God may be way less interested in the answer to your prayer than you think. Now, I'll say that again in case you think I got it wrong. God might be way less interested in the answer to your prayer than you think. Um, every time we go on holidays in the airport, we buy a word search book. It's our sort of plain thing. And years ago, when I was doing the word search, I just happened to cop on the fact that the answers are in the back of the book. And so you're doing a word search, and you get stuck, and you just flick over, and there's the answer. And I was doing these word searches, and I was just, in, in, in minutes, and then, then I thought, that is the stupidest thing. Isn't it? Like it's just defeating the whole purpose. All I'm interested in is getting the right. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in a neat, tidy page and the box is all filled in. Not in the journey. What if, what if the whole skill of it and the whole meaning of the book is actually supposed to be in the journey and not just in the answer? And maybe God's more interested in the journey that you're on than in the right answer that you're looking 
And I think God brings us in these journeys. So if you're sitting in unbelief and you're wrestling with doubt, that's fine. Just invite God to the table so that you might work and walk and wrestle with him as we navigate seasons that are marked with doubt and unbelief. Let's make sure we wrestle that out with God. And maybe the more on the other side of the door of the room is is the room that we wrestle through this on, if you get what I mean. The children of Israel in her second passage, they're struggling with God's timing. They're struggling with the pace of God. God has brought them out of Egypt. He's brought them over the Red Sea. Um, Now Moses is up on the mountain getting what inevitably will become the Ten Commandments. And the text basically opens up 32, first four verses saying, God's taking too long. God's not coming in time. And watch this. They say, Aaron, make us a new God. Make us one we can push around. Make us one that will do what we tell it to do instead of it telling us what to do. What do you do when God doesn't show up in time? What do you do? We hear all the videos of, of God turning up and answering our prayer, don't we? we? We hear the stories. I needed God at 2 o'clock on Thursday, and at 1.59, the check came through. Don't know who put it in, but boom, there it was. You hear the stories of people looking for a, a doctor's report to be negative and boom, they go and it's negative and you hear they needed a check in the post and the bank rings up and says, somebody anonymous put a check into your account for £102.59p and that was the exact amount you needed and it just came at the 11th hour. We hear all those stories and praise God for all those stories. But what about the stories when you needed God on Monday at 2 o'clock and now it's Friday and it's 9pm and he hasn't turned up yet? What about those stories? What about you go to the doctor looking for a clear scan and it's not clear? What about the time when you needed a check come through to pay your electric bill and it didn't come and now you're sitting with the lights out burning candles? What about the time that God refused to go on your to-do list? What do you do with a God who refuses to follow your agenda? What do you do when God goes off script? What do you do with a God who does his own thing? What do you do with a disobedient God? A God that doesn't do what you tell him to do, who refuses to follow your instructions. What do you do when tragedy happens your family? What do you do when suffering hits your household? When financial strains hit and you think everybody else is financially blessed and you feel you're financially cursed? What do you do with that stuff? Well, I'll tell you what most people do. They do what Peter did in the New Testament And they do what Israel did in the Old Testament. They go backwards. Peter says, I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back to doing what I think I know best to do. Israel, you're taking too long. They replaced God. They were longing for God, but they reached for gold. Here's the thing. I went away for a few days in May, and I was longing for God. And I was making sure I wasn't going to reach for the wrong thing. Because we do it all the time. And I'm guilty of it too. We're longing for God in this hand. And we're reaching for something else to replace him in the other. And it's beginning to know the difference of what you're longing for. And what you're reaching for. Because what you're reaching for is not bringing you to the more of God. And here's what happens. This idea of replacing God. They were reaching for what was familiar. Instead of what was fascinating. And that's what we do. All at the expense of the one who is faithful above all. 
And instead of trusting the one who'd been faithful, it's amazing just how quickly we can go back to Egypt, isn't it? You're longing for peace of mind, but you're reaching for a ball. You're longing for rest, but you're numbing yourself with pills. God says, you have, don't reach for cheap counterfeits of me. Reach for me. Process it with me. Reach for the one that you're longing for. David put it this way. I love this verse. He said, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I don't care who you are or where you're from. God created you to long for him. And uh, you may not even know it. You may not even understand it. But inside of you is a, is a longing. Was it Billy Graham who said that in us all is a God-shaped hole that only God could fill. And he's longing to fill it today. It's better than reaching for money. It's better than reaching for higher status or acceptance of people. There is no high like the most high. And it's in your deepest desires that you can only be satisfied when you reach for the one who can truly fill them. John the Baptist, in our final reading, had to check this out. Are you the one? Are you the one? Or should we look for another? I love Jesus' answer to that. Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you hear and see the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And I imagine when John heard that, even though he went to the executioner's block, I think he had a smile on his face because he knew he'd got it right. And what did he do? He took his doubt to Jesus. He processed it with him. Where are you processing all of the stuff that's going on. Where are you processing all your questions? Because it's important that we process them in the right place. I, if you read the story of Jacob, you'll find, um, I think it's Genesis 28, it is Genesis 28, where he leaves after he um, disguises himself and gets the blessing and he has to leave. And then he comes in that place called Bethel and he makes a pillow out of a stone and he lies down. And there's a little line in, in Genesis 28 that says that he lay down because the sun had set. When you read the story in Genesis 32, you'll find what happened. He wrestles with God all night and, um, and uh, God says, let me go. He says, I won't let you go to you bless me. He gets touched in the hollow of his thigh and he limps the rest of his life. And as he went over the Jabbok River that morning, there's a little line that says, and the sun rose. The sun set in Genesis 28. The sun rose in Genesis 32. There was 20 years in between. It took 20 years to knock the old nature out of Jacob and change his name to Israel, one who's wrestled with God and prevailed. And some of us are looking quick fixes. Some of us are looking to fix it at the turn of a penny. Some are saying, God, I need it and I need it now. And if you can't do it, I'll make my own God that I can push around in a cart and tell what to do because you're not coming up with trumps. And this idea of, of God calling us not to be spectators, but we're participators. And he's calling us to sit 
at the right table. He's calling us to join in the right rooms. He's calling us to process through the things that we've processed. I love this um, great verse uh, in Song of Solomon 2.4. He brought me into his banqueting house and his banner over us is love. He invites us to his table. We don't have to sit at the kids' table. We can sit at his table. There's a great story, I've told you before, there's a great story of, of Joseph Parman. Joseph Parman is one of the um, best violinists in the world, one of the most renowned violinists in the world of our day, still alive. Um, when he was a boy, he was struck with polio and, um, and now uses leg braces and crutches to get about. And they tell, they tell us that um, he was playing at some massive gala um, dinner in um, Boston, and the Boston Globe actually reported on this, and, and he was the lead violinist, and so he was always last on stage because of his disability, and, and so he would shuffle his way on the stage, and he would get seated, and, and, and he was the lead violinist in this great gala, and so the, the music began, and everything was going great, and, and then they said there was a twang of a string. One of the strings of his violin broke, and it could be heard right to the back of the hall. Now, what um, would happen in normal circumstances, the lead violinist, they could pause, and the lead violinist could go off stage, restring his violin, retune it, and come back on and begin again. Parman didn't have that. He, couldn't, he didn't have that ability to do that. He had sat down. He had taken his leg braces off, so he couldn't do that. And so what he did really quickly, he transposed the piece from four strings to three. I'm not a musician, and that doesn't sound like an awful hard thing to do, but I, I, I know I'm totally wrong, right, Lynn? Um, and, and he transposed the piece from four strings to three, and he played it flawlessly, absolutely flawlessly. And when it was over, the audience stood, and they applauded him. They applauded him with great might and great gusto. And all the musicians that were with him in the band stood and started to bang their instruments on the floor in respect to what he had just done. After the gig, he's been, interested in, he's been spoken to by a reporter, and they said to him, how did you do what you just done? And this is what he said. He said, I've decided years ago for the rest of my life to make music with that which remains. Some of you are really young in here, and some of you, I was going to say some of you are really old, but um, you're not really old, but some of you are older. All right, And I'm in the older bracket now, so I can say that safely. What about today, making this the first day, to say, I'm going to go into those rooms. I'm going to wrestle this thing out with God. I'm not going to walk away from him anymore. I'm going to decide in this day that for the rest of my life, I'm going to make music with that which remains. You see, in all of this, my faith didn't waver. I never, I never doubted that God existed. I never, I, I trusted him completely. I just needed the answers to the questions. And did I get the answers I wanted? No. But did I enjoy the journey and receive more? A thousand percent. There is no presence like his presence. There is, no, there is no touching when he comes. He calls us to his banqueting table. 
and his banner over us is love. And I'd love you to bow your heads. James is going to come and we're going to finish with a song. And it's a song I love. It's a song that you'll probably all know. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. But just in the silence, if you're in this room today and there's a wrestle going on or there's questions that you feel you need an answer to or you feel in some shape or form um, or maybe you just haven't been working this out the right way, I would love you to stand because I'd love to pray. I'd love you to stand with me. Because I have had to stand up in this, all right? And, and, and what I, what, by standing, what I'd love you to do, I'd love you to invite God into the ring. <laughs> God, I'm inviting. I, I've, been trying to, I've been trying to work this out in my own. And God, I've realized this morning, I just can't do that. I can't work it out in my own. And I'm inviting, I'm inviting you into the ring. I'm inviting you into this wrestle this morning. If that's you, would you please stand? I'd love to pray with you. Just by standing this morning, you're declaring you more questions than answers. <laughs> and um, and when you get into that place with God, this, this, is, this is the weird thing about it, actually. When you get into that place with God, you begin to realize the answer doesn't really matter. So God, for those people standing this morning, Thank you for their honesty this morning by jumping to their feet and saying, God, I need you. I need you in this battle. I can't do this without you. I can't. I've tried, God. I've, I've, we used to sing, I've tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but ah, the water's failed. And they've failed. And so, God, I need you. I need you because you are the only one. You are the... King of kings, you are the Lord of lords. And so each and every person who's standing in this room right now, God, I pray just the power of the Holy Spirit to move in their lives, over them, in them, through them, right now, God. Come, we pray. Come, we pray. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk